when you agree as part of Amazon to sell to their terms of services, you're guaranteeing that Amazon will be the lowest price, uh, will match the lowest price available on the web. And earlier in my example, we were working with the home and kitchen company where yeah. we would get all these great deals lined up and then Walmart would be like, hey, we want to jump in that. And then they would screw it up for us on the Amazon. End. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Amazon could appear like a massive opportunity, but to be successful on Amazon, comprehensive strategy starting from SKUs to pricing and to your fulfillment. While Amazon could come across as frightening due to confusing terms, and business models, Amazon provides several opportunities for sellers at different levels, including taking care of your entire fulfillment process. So what do you need to know to create Amazon as a successful channel? In today's episode, our guest, Will Hare, shares his insights into Amazon's business models. He also describes the business model differences of vendor and seller central, FVA versus FBM, seller fulfilled prime and hybrid strategy finally he discusses several strategies such as amazon's prime and how that impacts your relationship with amazon inventory and warehouse processes of amazon and their expectations from each seller and finally the channel conflict and its implications if you or one of your vendors try to sell the same product at a much cheaper price on amazon let me introduce will to you will here is a ceo of Bella Vix, one of the top 25 Amazon certified advertising agencies helping brands scale their business through an omni-channel approach. He has 10 plus years of experience working in e-commerce. He is experienced working with Seller Central, Vendor Central, Amazon advertising platform, and DSP, having a strong background in advertising too. Will has worked with e-commerce businesses in leading the strategic planning, implementation, and tactical execution of marketing strategies for products across all Amazon business segments and other third-party marketplaces such as Walmart, eBay, etc. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Will. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here to uh, not only meet with you, Sam, but to talk about my favorite topic, which is uh, all things Amazon. Yeah, and I am super excited to have you as well, because the kind of guests we have had from the perspective of Amazon, they did not go as deep. So my <laughs> hope from this episode is going to be we are going to get deeper intel from you. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus, Will? Let's do it. I love high expectations. So let's set that bar right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm Will. I am the, uh, the co-founder of uh, Bellavix, which is yeah. a marketplace management company. We yeah. specialize on helping brands manage their Amazon and Walmart 
uh, accounts. And we currently work with uh, brands and manufacturers to penetrate uh, the world's larger marketplaces. And we focus on operational excellence, brand protection, customer service, marketing and SEO and advertising. Um, so that's a bit about what we do as Bellavix, how I got here, the journey. Um, started out working at different agencies and different capacities. My background was uh, advertising and SEO. Yeah. And I would say probably six or seven years ago at this point, I just had the opportunity to just hyper focus specifically on the Amazon marketplace, which happened to be a great timing because around that time they started introducing new features yeah. and trying to just expand out. And then over time, you know, I just saw the opportunity and something that killed me about the previous agencies that I work with is that there would be, I managed 50 accounts at one time. Oh, wow. How could you manage? I don't even have 50 people in my life I talk to regularly, <laughs> but these people love some will and they didn't mind blowing me up. But what I learned is like, it, it was a sweatshop. It was no way to run an organization. So leaving the last agency I worked at, I was yeah. like, we want to do things differently. We want to be boutique. We want to be really hands-on. So yeah. with that passion of just e-commerce and managing marketplaces, we just took it to the next level. And we've been really fortunate. We've grown to 12 full-time employees, managing a little over 20 accounts. And we have some just great stories of, of customers we work with that we help kind of level up using some of the philosophies that took us over 10 years to kind of build out and kind of get into. So it's really exciting. And Amazon is still the Wild West. So I like to walk around and tell people I'm a cowboy. Yeah, it is definitely a wild west and it's going to be so exciting to dig into all of those stories because the people who don't know how to navigate the Amazon jungle, it's always going to be the scary experience. So hopefully they can get some insights from this episode. Uh, now, uh, you know, before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest. And that is going to be your perspective on business growth. Awesome. So talking about Amazon sellers, obviously, because that's yeah. my wheelhouse. My perspective on growth is you hear it a lot. Amazon is really competitive. How can I go in and grow? There's always room for growth. What yep. the shift that's happened inside these ecosystems is that it's brand centric. It's about the customer experience. If you, there's still a model for it, but if you're wholesaling or retail arbitrage, that's a really difficult model on Amazon to actually pull off, especially with a lot of the restrictions. And some of the legislation that went through is saying that the marketplaces are now responsible for any fraudulent products that might actually hurt people. So there's been a lot stricter guidelines to be able to sell. So in order to achieve growth, there's just some basic, I, I suggest searching the Amazon flywheel. I have a great yeah. article on the sell zone blog where I talk about the flywheel. But you know, if you want to grow your brand, if you want to get sales velocity, it's all about your availability, your in-stock it's about your text match relevancy, your SEO price point. And it doesn't mean it's a race to the bottom. What it means yeah. is that you have a price point that aligns to your brand and the quality of the product and sales velocity. And what's that? That's your fulfillment method, that's your reviews, your A plus content, your images, your advertising and your promotional strategy. So you, you tie this all into the ecosystem and you can kind of get that flywheel going to generate sales and help level up. And I could talk all day about different strategies we put in place, which I'm sure Sam's going to be pulling out of me uh, as we get deeper into this conversation. Oh, yeah, I am definitely going to do that. So let's first start with the business models. Uh, I don't know if people have understanding of different business models, how they work, who is going to be responsible for what uh, in those business models, because that is going to drive 
uh, your operations and i have seen uh, different scenarios obviously you have the fulfilled by amazon you have fulfilled by merchant uh, but there are some business model uh, some more business models that could be sort of in between where you have a marketing agency involved and then you are actually shipping to the marketing agency and then they, they are actually taking care of the fulfillment so tell us different business models that are there in the Amazon space and how many players are going to be involved and what is going to be their risk? Absolutely. A great question. So, you know, hit it off the bat. If you're on Seller Central, which a majority of sellers are, unless you're yeah. a manufacturer or you're a certain size, yeah. you're likely going to be on Seller Central. And that's a three, three P model. So you're yeah. listing on Amazon and you're either having Amazon do the fulfillment through FBA, fulfillment yeah. by Amazon, or you're going to fulfill these orders yourself. If you decide you're going to do FBA, it's great. Uh, there's some legislation we'll talk about later that might be changed to that, but you get preferential treatment in terms of search ranking. We know I'm uh, directly guilty of this as I will filter by prime only. So generally yeah. I'm, I'm buying products that have the two day shipping because yeah. I've learned not to wait for anything anymore. I just, I, I can't do it, but there's, you know, there's discount rates, there's return management, they handle the customer service, there's quick delivery. And then there's the omni-channel fulfillment through multi-channel fulfillment. Okay. So what it means is you could you could send your products into Amazon FBA. And if you get an eBay order, technically, if you get a Walmart order, you're not supposed to. But in the past, you could fulfill those orders uh, all through the MCF program, which is all done through um, Amazon Prime FBA. Some of the cons, obviously, it costs money. There's charges per order. There's long-term storage fees. And they're a lot stricter on the preparation of these items and yeah. nothing's worse than sending in a ton of product to find out you don't label the box boxes correctly and uh, everything that entails to kind of get those properly labeled. So that's the, the basic of like FBA, FBM fulfilled by merchant or yeah. manufacturer. And that is you are, you're going to handle the fulfillment. So that means you're responsible for shipping. Uh, you're also, there's some internal you know, probably not going to rank as well for SEO perspective, but there's late shipment. You now have to worry about on-time delivery, valid tracking. So making sure you have a good system in place where that information getting put into the system and it's sent out and you're maintaining perfect account health metrics. So uh, what's really important just to tie the FBM in is that you're always watching your account health. If you get at risk or critical, yeah. you have the chance of being shut down or suspended. The, and then on top of that, they're seller fulfilled prime. So if you if you don't know what that is, you're probably not in the program. I recommend Googling it and getting it on the wait list. Yeah. If you're inside the program and you have a good logistics partner or happen to have um, warehousing where you could fulfill orders essentially right away, yeah. this means zero day handling time through your probationary period. You'll have the ability to get the prime badge and fulfill orders, um, being able to kind of fulfill them yourself. I see a lot of this in like the chocolate space or snack, anything meltable. We've had yeah. supplement ca categories because like when it's over, I forgot, like maybe 92 degrees or maybe 104. I don't remember the exact number, but in the summertime from May to essentially September, uh, if your product it can't handle uh, more than X amount of heat, you can't send those products into FBA. And so what you'll do is if, if you've registered and been accepted to the seller for Phil Prime, yeah. you don't lose any momentum because you still get that Prime badge. You still get all the benefits. You just have a third party logistics company actually working through that. If you don't have that ability, then you just FBM. Ideally, you're shipping it as quick as possible because we yeah. know what Amazon's expectations are. Generally, when people ask us our recommendations, 
you know, you want to get it out your door into that customer door within five days. They're expecting it two days. Generally, if you ship it to yourself, five days tend to be pretty realistic. Um, but it's something to keep in mind because Amazon is customer centric and it's all about that customer experience. On the back end, you want to make sure you have your shipping and handling time set properly yeah. and that you're actually fulfilling and delivering inside those windows that threw a bunch of information about you about third-party selling. And um, I'll, I'll dive into it just a little more because you did mention something that's really interesting. And uh, there's kind of the aggregators. The yeah. Caspian is one, for example. They used to be e-tails and they built an awesome business model, which essentially they buy your product and they'll warehouse it and they handle all of that. And it's, it works for some sellers. I think it works great if you're if you're focusing on your website. So you're, yeah. you're launching and you're like, I know I need to be Amazon because everybody needs to be on Amazon. 50% of e-commerce sales, 65% of people are going to go check reviews on Amazon. So yeah. support, you have some type of presence. They're not robbing from each other. But it takes a lot of time and emphasis to get the process, the procedures. How do you rank? There's a lot that goes into it. So these aggregators have a place in the ecosystem where you know they're going to buy your product. What we found and what's worked really great for us in acquiring clients from these aggregators is generally if your product doesn't have good sales velocity, you're not yeah. going to get the time or emphasis that you expect. So what we get is an inconsistent customer experience from your website, from your social media onto Amazon or onto Walmart. So it's important you consider that, you know, especially if you're launching out, you don't have a ton of followers, you, you're not moving a lot of product, you know, they're going to handle it, which is great. But they may not, you may not be getting white glove service, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and that comes with the territory. The goal is to kind of grow into that. Um, but those aggregators are great. And like I said, they'll handle a lot of it. And if you happen to have a product that sells really well, you get a yeah. lot of attention. Anything else. Um, jumping on to the, the next business model, it's, yeah. it's a 1P model. So Vendor Central, you're here a lot. Yeah. And Vendor Central is, is awesome. It's a great way to work directly with Amazon. So if you're ever on a listing, and you know the buy box where you buy now essentially underneath that I'll have sold by and shipped by amazon.com. Yeah. If you see that 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 seller is in a 1P model. Normally for FBA you'll see uh you know sh- uh, sold by insert brand shipped by amazon.com. Yeah. And if it's uh fulfilled by merchant sold and shipped by brand.com or whatever it is. Um and the one so vendor is invite only so if you have not been approached by Amazon you're likely not into this program. What I find generally a lot of manufacturers tend to be in Vendor Central, a lot of private equity, venture capital who have multiple brands yeah. tend to get Vendor Central. And the larger the brand, the more sales velocity you have, the yeah. more attention you have from Amazon. So I love when I'm working with an enterprise level client and we get introduced to their reps because like those guys will be able to get us into betas, special discounts, promotions. There's lots of benefits to being on Vendor Central. Technically, they say that there's no difference between being FBA and on vendor. There's no preference in ranking, but our data we found differently that vendors tend to get preferred. And it's almost a no brainer. So a vendor or 1P model means Amazon is creating purchase orders and it's more of a wholesale arrangement you have with Amazon. So they will buy your product, they will take it, ship it over to their fulfillment centers and they yeah. will fulfill orders as they come. And you'll get, you know, purchase orders issued weekly, usually on Tuesdays. Um, and it's a great, it's great, but there are some drawbacks. So, yeah. if, so first of all, some of the great things, like I mentioned, not only the reps, but accelerator program. Yeah. Uh, it enables manufacturers to launch brands on yeah. innovative products exclusively on Amazon, and it provides a path to be an Amazon private label. 
So you won't be able to have a website and some of the other, but you'll be able to make products exclusively for Amazon. And that's really attractive to manufacturers who maybe aren't as committed or know as much about branding and what it takes to do that. So Amazon will help kind of accelerate and put you in that good position, hence the accelerator program. Another program we have experience with that we like a lot is the Born to Run program, which gives vendors the opportunity to launch products on Amazon uh, and kind of name your purchase order. We want to put X amount in and they'll actually issue it. So you don't have to go through the process of ramping up sales and getting positive reviews and essentially training Amazon's vendor system that like this actually sells. And I'll go into hybrid models and what that actually means. But historically, you would need to show that there's some type of sales velocity. So Amazon's confident in issuing those purchase orders. And that takes some strategy, which is why we usually go with some type of hybrid model. But things to consider when you're in vendor contracts, and especially yep. your first contract, if you're able to come into this program, you know, there's a lot of allowances. They want you to sell at a wholesale price. Yep. They also want to have market development uh, fees, which they'll use for advertising, so on and so forth, freight allowance, damage allowance, payment terms, which will be 30 to 90 days, push yeah. to 30 days, and then cost, the cost of the product. And what I will tell everybody, because I get this all the time, is you need to leave room in your cost for advertising budget and to have room to run promotions. So something we'll find, I can't tell you, is like uh, Amazon has a crap policy and they love acronyms and it's real. Can't realize actual profit. And what it means is that your price is too high. Amazon can't sell that. And maybe you have third party sellers on that listing that bought your product through wholesale. They're flipping it. And Amazon's not the lowest price. So they won't issue any more purchase orders. And depending on your contract, they might actually return your stuff and dock your the payment that may or may not have went out. Um, so it's important that you kind of have some fluff and you're controlling map policy. You understand what wholesalers are selling and what that relationship is. Yeah. And have, you know, if you have exclusivity and there's ways around it, like uh, we work with a beauty brand that kills it, their wholesale account and, and how they distribute that through their affiliates is how they make a bulk of their money. Where Where it's difficult when you have, 50 sellers on a listing to win the buy box and to get the sale and to prove your value. So essentially what we would do with a lot of these accounts is we would identify what's your Amazon exclusive products. What products do we have to double down? We, of course, recommend your best sellers because those will get the most attention, but also because we can control the customer experience. Your, Your wholesalers generally don't care. They will all the time, they'll mess with listings, they'll change titles, they'll swap out images. Yeah. And if, you know, contributorship is something that will confuse the Amazon algorithm because it's based on the seller account, the maturity, the number of reviews. So there's a lot to go into it. And although you're brand registered and you have all the paperwork and all that other stuff, it's still an ongoing process of like, okay, this change, this affects our conversion rate. This is why it's so important to go on and make sure that we're keeping on top of our, our third party sellers and making sure, you know, are they selling on the right product? And then the weed out, you have to have enforcement. That's like the other big part for this 1P. Like if you're just dumping it all into the market and whatever happens, happens, you know, you'll find. And I I will say anybody who's listening right now, if you sell to wholesalers and you're not on Amazon and you're not aware of what that experience looks like, go search your products on Amazon. See what those listings look like. See what, you know, USPs they're talking about, your selling proposition. See what that listing looks like. Like I said, 65% of people who are finding your brand, they're going to jump over to Amazon to check price. Can they get it cheaper? And B, to check the reviews. 
They'll read through those reviews and reviews will spill over from like, hey, my product came damaged. Those can get removed, first yep. of all. Yeah. But my product damaged. If you wait too long, you can't get those removed. Or, you know, I got the wrong product. Or the, oh God, especially in the beauty space and supplement fraudulent products. Like yeah. we literally will put an image inside all of our beauty and supplement brands that's like, yeah. hey, make sure this is legitimate. Make sure the buy box says buy and sold by Amazon or this company so that we don't have those. Because nothing's scarier than somebody getting something that doesn't yeah, smell right or isn't yeah. your product. Yeah. And it's it's hard to enforce because it's an open marketplace. At the end of the day, however, your third party sellers get those products, they're 100% allowed to sell those products on Amazon. No issues. It's a marketplace. So it's important, you know, to kind of control these on the manufacturing end and having good contracts in place so that you can enforce and make sure map policies honored. And it gets even more complicated if you're in brick and mortar retail. Yeah. If you're in multiple stores, it's making sure I can't tell you how many deals we had crushed deals are special promotions we got through vendor central programs where it was good, everything was great. Walmart saw we were doing it cheaper, so they cut their price cheaper than Amazon Yeah, without asking because it's also a vendor experience. And then our deal got crushed. And then we put all this marketing emphasis and all this energy and funding into this and then products dead. What do we do now? You know, And it's there's a lot of complications. So the reason I'm bringing it up is because we love one-piece sellers. We think a vendor central uh, program is yeah. definitely the one of the best ways to go if you can actually get in the program. But there's a lot more to think about. There's a lot of ramifications for for actions that you know are, are unintended. Um, so it's important you just have grips on your whole supply chain and kind of what it looks like, where it goes after you know it gets out of your warehouse and it ships to wherever it ends up going. But those are the basics of of the two experiences. And um, if you don't have any questions, I'd love to talk about the hybrid philosophy. Sam, is it all right to kind of yeah, yeah, that? please, please go ahead. Yep. Oh man, taking the mic and running with it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you have the show, so, you have the blower. Yeah. <laughs> I love this stuff. I could talk all day about it. But so there are two ways. So I'm yeah. going to talk about the hybrid philosophy from uh, from the th- the three P seller. I'll start with yeah. Seller Central. Yeah, that tends to be the most common, which is why I'll bring it up. So in um, geez, I think June last year, uh, Amazon is officially out of the warehousing business. So before June 2021. Yeah. You could get a product and just send like 5,000 units in and that was it. You're good. Just fulfill it by Amazon. You could work on whatever methodology you had. What Amazon started figuring out is like, we have a lot of products that just don't move. They're yeah. just taking up warehouse space and what are we going to do about it? So what they've done, they changed their um, the inventory management system to, yeah. be, um, to be volume-based, meaning you have this much square footage to work with which is based on a handful of KPIs, but the most important one is sales velocity. That's how they measure everything. Yeah. Um, so now the the hybrid model has somewhat changed. So before we would say, if you were 3P seller, we'd say, hey, take as many products as it makes sense and put them in FBA so that you could get the prime badge. You could actually move product. There's organic ranking. There's ad strategies. There's a yeah. lot we could put in place to kind of help you grow. But now we know that, okay, we only have a limited amount of space inside fulfilled by Amazon, inside yeah. those fulfillment centers. So what you have to think about is like, what are my top selling products? What products am I going to put the most emphasis on? And they need to be in there. The stronger that sales velocity is, the more volume you'll get to put more products into. So traditionally, what we would do, and why I say a hybrid model, is we'll list, you know, we'll take your top five sellers, we'll yeah. put them in, in 
FBA and we'll just, as much as they could take, we'll put in there. And then for these other products, especially if you're launching products, you know, we don't know if they're going to hit. We don't know really what's going to happen in the marketplace. Put those in FBM, try to have a good fulfillment network or third party logistics company you work with and have, um, you know, put, you can put ad dollars behind it. You can do everything optimized for search. You just don't have the prime eligibility unless you're seller fulfilled prime, completely different. But let's just keep basic right now. Yeah. Yeah. So that what we do is we not only will train the Amazon algorithm, but like, what keyword should this rank for? What actually converts and turn into sales? Uh, the Vine program, which they're charging for now, I think it's 200 bucks, give or take per, per SKU. Yeah. Um, getting those products in there, getting the sale, getting the initial reviews so that people who buy your product are like, okay, I'm not the first one buying this. And it has some, has some indexation, if you will. Yeah. And the goal is to find out what are going to be your home runs. So like you'll move product, you'll see which actually resonates with the market. The Amazon shopper is different than other shoppers. So tied it back to, we work a lot in beauty, so tied it back to a different beauty brand. Yeah, uh, It's really interesting that the most popular product on their website is like a vitamin C serum and an anti-wrinkle cream. Yeah, On Amazon, it's uh, it's a dark spot corrector and it's scar gel. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it just really resonates with the Amazon audience. So we get a lot of sales for that. So it's good to kind of test, like just be, the most likely if it works on your website, it will work on Amazon, but you'd be surprised on, you know, where, where the opportunities in the market are and what's going to sell really well and what's not. So when we talk about the hybrid model, it's all about getting products in and out, figuring out what works. And there's nothing wrong with testing. I think that's, that's what good agencies do or good marketplace managers or whoever you're working with there. They'll have a hypothesis. Well, they'll do some initial research on the category or the subcategory. And they'll figure out what actually moves and what doesn't. And then they'll they'll push those products. Maybe they'll send in a couple hundred into fulfillment by Amazon and see, do we get the traction and the pickup? If they yeah. do, great. Let's send in more and let's make it rain. If not, put it back to fulfilled by merchant. Get that inventory out of there. Don't be afraid to liquidate it. Don't be afraid to pull it back. Because um, if, if it clogs up your space, I have a jewelry company we work with that has thousands of SKUs and before they because Amazon like anything else they do they're just like as of today it's volume based it sucks for you if you have a whole bunch of products in here because we literally like came in the next day and it's like yeah. you're 5,000 pieces over what you're allowed and if you don't get this out of here in 90 days guess what we're charging fees and it's like <laughs> oh god now we got to deal with this yeah um so you know pulling that inventory out moving in the best sellers why it was painful up front there's costs associated with it you know somebody's got to take those and and re-put them into inventory you know what's better is that we're able to get the sales velocity on products that can we're able to get the ranking this company came to us so bottlenecked that like they couldn't they couldn't push anything because they just were stuck with all this crap that didn't sell because they were yeah. doing what other agencies recommend, which is like throw all your inventory in Amazon, anything you got left over, and let's see what moves and what doesn't. So these are things just to kind of keep in mind as you're considering. But when we talk about a hybrid from a third-party seller perspective, yeah. which we're taking our strongest product that we know we're going to sell. We're going to put those into fulfilled by Amazon. Yeah. And for those that are questionable or launch products or we're just building on them, we're going to do fulfilled by merchant until we have market data that says, okay, great conversion rate. This is getting a lot of reviews. Yeah. It's time to start making that transition. There's the, uh, so that's 3P. There's also the hybrid model for yeah. your one piece vendor central sellers. 
slightly different, but essentially it's having products inside Vendor Central and inside Seller Central. So you have the two accounts, they'll be linked, you can't have them completely separate. So you'll, you'll run through that whole process. And same thing. So Amazon's going to want to see, they're, they're only going to make purchase orders for products that sell. So for example, if you're launching a product, yeah, you could, you could put it on Amazon Vendor Central, but they're, you know, they're likely not going to just make a purchase order. They're going to need to see something. You're going to have to seed that some way. Yeah. It's crippling because if you don't have the buy box or if you're not able to sell, get that inventory into Amazon, you can't advertise. Yeah. And now you can't advertise and you can't do a lot of marketing. You can't run promotions. Amazon has no inventory. There's no, there's no, there's nothing to build on. So that's where that hybrid model comes in. So what you'll want to do is take that, those sets of products, put them in seller central, run them through just a launch process, kind of get them going to validate it. But more importantly, show Amazon's algorithm that, Hey, this product sells, I proved it to yourself and then have the vendor central pick up. It's more important that if the vendor side actually picks up that you're, you're phasing that inventory out of FBA and you're focusing on that. But it also gives you leverage where if that can't realize actual profit is painful. A, a lot of vendors know exactly what I'm talking about. So if you're, if you're having that issue, fine, take those products, put them on Seller Central, mark whatever price you have. Keep in mind, you know, if, if Amazon has inventory, they're going to get the buy box, especially if it's at a lower price. But there's ways to kind of phase that out. You can also do return orders through vendor. There's there's ways around it. Contract stipulations have a lot to do with it. But you can get your inventory out and you can kind of go with that seller central until you have enough gener- uh, enough velocity where it makes sense to kind of move it over. And then there's all different tactics you could do with inside there. Um, so that's a little bit about kind of the two the two basic models of you know hybrid. So generally we're running either one with, with all of our clients and we're always kind of doing the hybrid yeah. where in the past we'd be like, you got to be FBA, uh, but the game's changed. And it also shows you the ecosystem is always changing and it's just it's the lay of the land that comes with the territory. Yeah. So obviously, you know, when you navigate the Amazon jungle, uh, you know, one of the <laughs> things that you are going to notice is there are a lot of different models. There are a lot of di- different chargebacks and there are a lot of different uh, acronyms as well. Uh, and now, yeah. you know, if somebody is exploring this ecosystem for the first time, so I know you are talking about 3P, 1P, and honestly speaking, I always was confused between the seller central, vendor central, uh, you know, these terms don't make any sense whatsoever, yeah. uh, you know, why they are named that way. So I don't know if you are going to have any sort of background in terms of where they came from so that, you know, people who are listening to it might be able to relate slightly better. But from the business model perspective, I'm still uh, trying to find out, okay, if you actually look at the FBA, uh, I know that you mentioned that, you know what, you are probably going to get a little bit of preferential treatment uh, in terms of your, uh, you know, algorithm, you are probably going to get uh, the reviews better. And if you are more of the private equity, uh, you know, uh, established brand, then you are probably going to be qualified uh, for the vendor central. But if we look at more from the transaction flow perspective, how the order is going to go, how the inventory is going to be uh, ordered, who is going to be responsible for what, FBA and vendor vendor central, they seem very similar, even though the account is going to be different from the Amazon perspective. Uh, Are there any differences in terms of the way the order is going to appear uh, when you are going to get that, how the inventory is going to move, um, or is it just a different model? Uh, It's a different model. So on the FBA side, you'll see all the inventory you have in transit, so on and so forth. 
What's nice about it, you have complete control over pricing. So you want to raise prices, great. You want to lower prices, great. You want to run coupons, promos. You can just do it all right through the seller central dashboard. Unfortunately, on the vendor central side, it's a little more complicated. So um, you're not going to see the inventory, for example, there. Amazon's just going to make that that purchase um, and they're going to they're really going to own that experience. So you're just essentially selling to Amazon. Uh, in order to update the listings, it's a bit of a process. You have to create cases, fill it in the back end to kind of go through that process. If you want to run any promotions, it needs to be approved by Amazon. Generally, 72 hours is the minimum time frame yeah. um, for that. Um, and it all kind of takes time to line up. On the inventory side, I have to check with an operations manager. I'm not sure what type of intel you have into the actual inventory. Uh, for myself, I'm focusing a lot on the purchase orders, but one of my specialists has a little more insights into that, but I know it's limiting. So we'll see cost of goods sold shipped out is something we look at. Yeah. Um, we'll also look at the, the retail sales. So the price that Amazon sells at what it looks at. But if you're looking at your business reports, you're going to want to know what that ship cost of goods sold is because essentially that's how much money you're actually making on Amazon minus you know all the fees that they're going to take out depending on what that contract looks like. And when I said it's important, the contract portion of that uh, of your journey when you start working with vendors is really important because it's super easy to lower prices. It's super hard to raise prices again. Uh, and generally, if you raise your prices, it's hard to get Amazon to issue you purchase orders. Could be, you know, how much stock do they have if they over order? Did you give the ability? Do they have the ability to initiate returns? So it be- because Amazon owns that experience, it yeah. becomes a lot more complicated to getting the changes. So with the 3P model, there's just a lot more freedom. You know, you lose a little bit compared to vendor, but I mean, if, if nobody else is vendor or it's not from like an organic and sales perspective, yeah. it doesn't matter as much. Like if you're a good agency or a good business owner and you're concerned about the customer experience, you have high quality images, you're using A plus content and all the tools, you're running promotions and you're doing full funnel advertising. Yeah. You're going to get sales. You're going to grow your brand. Um, it's, you know, it's the navigating part on the back end that gets so difficult between the two, the two platforms. Generally, I prefer seller central, a lot more freedom. You give Amazon a lot of control. They can yeah. just say we want to lower prices or we won't issue purchase orders. And if you're only a one piece seller, so if you're on the accelerator program, you're not going to be on seller central. You are committing to only selling to Amazon through the vendor central portal, the one P model. And that we have found difficult. We have a, a pet manufacturer they do like leashes collars and so on and so forth and they did not do a really good job negotiating their contracts to the point where i think they're losing before the advertising or marketing they're losing like 15 cents per order give or take yeah um, so it's great for amazon they're selling these products super cheap but we've been filing cases and trying to get them to raise their prices they'll raise the prices and then we won't get purchase orders um, so this manufacturers just and they can't can't have a website can't have anything off of Amazon, you're committed to making this product for Amazon. So that's why I say it's important not to go in this alone. There's legal counsel who like specializes in that or agency owners who have seen a lot of these contracts will go through it and say, hey, you know, be aware of these five things and make sure yeah. you're leaving margins. Um, so that's really important. And that's it's a huge difference between the two models. Very interesting. So, okay, so that's a very interesting model. So let's say if I am the business owner and if I'm trying to sell my products and if I commit to one P model, uh, I don't know how Amazon is going to track whether I am selling outside of Amazon or not. 
so do you know how do they typically track? Let's say if I'm violating the contract and obviously Amazon is going to have probably millions and millions of sellers. So how do they know if I'm selling outside of, uh, outside of Amazon? So they, they, they have a system. Obviously, it's AI, but they catch it all the time. So also, Amazon has a price match guarantee. Yeah. I forgot the exact terms, but when you agree as part of Amazon to sell to their terms of services, you're guaranteeing that Amazon will be the lowest price, uh, will match the lowest price available on the web. And earlier, my example, we we're working with the home and kitchen company where yeah. we would get all these great deals lined up and then Walmart would be like, hey, we want to jump in that. And then they would screw it up for us on the Amazon end. They love it comes with the territory. Um, but what I will say is they have software that they track. They're mainly tracking major websites. So if like, yeah. you're selling hair product to a salon and they're listing on their website, you're probably going to be okay. But they will check your website. They have that data on the back end when you submit your 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 products to on Amazon. Yeah. Um, they're going to check Walmart. They're going to check Target. They're going to check you know Neiman Markets, depending yeah. on you know, what your category of product is. They're going to check all the major retailers, essentially. And the system will pick it up. It's not necessarily like illegal. It's going to break everything, but they'll suppress your listing. So now you're not really going to show up on organic searches. Uh, you'll likely lose the ability to advertise and you'll likely lose the ability to really sell through this product. It's okay for like temporary, like flash sales and stuff like that yeah. uh, or liquidation. They also don't penalize you if you're not the seller. So the software is sophisticated. So if I was on, uh, if I'm selling on Amazon and somebody bought my product and just wanted to liquidate it on Walmart and it's not me as a seller, yeah. uh, I likely won't get penalized. But if they see that it's, you know, Will's shop selling it to Amazon and it's selling it at a lower price to Walmart, yeah. they're going to catch you and they're going to suppress your listing or just make it inactive. And then, you know, you'll have to lower the price, open a case, get it back up and then take your lumps as, uh, as they say. Yeah, so very interesting. So one of the layers that we are going to be touching on right now is going to be overall the SKU consistency. And uh, in my experience, when we work with different businesses, uh, you know, their SKUs are typically all over the place, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Uh, okay, so when they do it intentionally, meaning what they are trying to do, they are going to have a separate SKU for Amazon so that they have better traceability, uh, better understanding of their inventory. They might not have a way of allocating inventory for Amazon uh, inside their own uh, fulfillment centers. So they are trying to save any sort of chargebacks or penalization from Amazon. So they might have completely different skills. Now, uh, if I am publishing my SKUs to Amazon as well as on Walmart, now I could have completely different SKU on Walmart. Okay, is so when these AI algorithms, when they are going and checking whether you are selling at a lower price or not, can you change the SKU completely and sell it at a different, different price and brand it as a completely different product? Is that possible? Not really. So the SKU, you can, you can make it whatever you want. So no, like um, my ops team can talk about catalog management and yeah. proper nomenclature. Because yeah. if you have a really large catalog, as you know, it's important for yeah. consistency. They're going to tie it to your UPC or your Jinten number. So when you actually register these products, we deal with a lot with UPC. So generally, we make sure that our, our brands have GS1 certified UPCs because yeah. we've had instances where a brand would buy this lady, bought uh, her UPCs from eBay, and we were like listing products. She just gave us this long sheet, and she's like, "Just put it on here. We don't have the, we don't have it on the packaging." 
And we would get random stuff like Looney Tune t-shirt show up instead of it being unassigned. So I would yeah. say make sure it's always GS1 certified. Um, but what you, they will track it based on that. So the UPC and other sellers will contribute. So they'll be able to kind of map it together if you try to do it. The other way around it kind of is uh, the FNSKU. So what you could do, and this is where like, I see a lot with smaller sellers who like, it's expensive. They don't want to do the GS1 process. Yeah. So instead of taking a shortcut, Amazon will say, okay, we'll give you a UPC. You know, use whatever SKU you want. Um, you'll just print this out and you'll label all your product. And it'll be signed to the ASIN number, which is essentially what Amazon, you know, Amazon serial identification number. I think yeah. I got that acronym right. <laughs> yep, you um, got it. So that, they assign that to every single product. So when you create a product with this FNSKU or whatever you're going to use, Amazon's going to give it an ASIN number. And that ASIN number is going to be forever tied to that UPC. And it is very difficult to untie it once it's tied. So as you're creating these, and what they'll find is like if other sellers are using that UPC, they'll try to bring it back to that ASIN. There are ways to kind of hack the system, but then you're violating brand registry. And an agency like myself is just going to get you taken down if you're a third party seller and not on their wholesale agreements. You got to be careful sometimes. Um, but so I, there's no shortcut away around it. And they're going to tie it to the barcode, the UPC. And we see that pretty regularly. So it's um, it's how they ensure that A, you're getting the lowest price and B, that there's nothing crazy going on on the back end. Very interesting. So, uh, you know, obviously the barcode is probably going to have these two numbers as well, uh, unless they are inputting anything else there, uh, you know, some depending upon the company, how they are operating. Uh, but the other challenges that I have seen in my experience in my customer base is going to be, let's say if you are, a, if you have a very complex business model, and sometimes, you know, uh, I am not really talking about these enterprises, because some of the small companies, smaller companies, they could have very complex business models as well. So in this specific case, obviously, they had many different channels. Uh, they were selling through distributors. They were selling through Amazon. They were trying to get onto Walmart. Uh, and then uh, they were also selling through associations. And the way these mm. associations work is they are actually trying to buy in the volume. And then they are selling it to their distributors that you have no mm. knowledge of, meaning you don't know who they are selling to. Okay. And what was happening in this particular case is these distributors would go and they would actually sell at a much cheaper price on Amazon. So now as a brand, you don't even know who that company is, who's trying to sell on Amazon. So now going back to your argument about the price match guarantee, is Amazon going to penalize me because they are actually trying to find it cheaper, uh, you know, based on these distributors. And by the way, manufacturer had a real problem because they could not really afford to compete with their own distributors. <laughs> So crazy uh, scenario. It, it exists. Uh, the bigger the the brand, so uh, kind of back to another beauty brand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a major issue. So we deal with this all the time, actually. So they just have, you know, they're in Ulta, they're in all the beauty places you could be, and they have just their wholesale is their mecca. So they just put it out there, and it's easy to kind of get the top, you know, the the immediate people they sell to, but. You're right. When it gets outside of there and it's to those, the wholesalers selling to other wholesalers, scrappy small business owners, yeah. it will flood into Amazon and it will make it difficult. And this particular brand, which was really interesting, is we, uh, we, we acquired another brand, uh, to bring under this private equity company's, uh, umbrella. And, um, this 
brand we bought had really great sales. They were running a hybrid model with vendor and seller central, yep. and they were really good at controlling who sold on Amazon. So their their partnerships with their wholesalers was just on point. When this uh, beauty company, private equity company, bought this company up, they opened the floodgates, and for the first time, we just saw like huge yep. dip in sales coming directly to us. And a lot of it was like, okay, you guys are just throwing it out there. We need to kind of rein this in. And it's been uh, a little over a year process, but we're finally have, so like some hacks to get around it. If you can't afford, uh, for example, to, to hire a legal company to send out cease and desist letters, my company will do that on your behalf. We have limitations on what we can actually do, yeah. especially if they're getting it legitimately. But there are some things you can do on the back end. So we would create something called virtual bundles. Well, they'll bundle these together and we can tie them to two ASINs. Um, but obviously, it gives you a higher price point. So your sales velocity might slow down. That's kind of a big one. You will win the buy box being the brand owner more often than not. But what you'll find is you just get a lot of sellers. And if you erode that buy box, if your buy box is less than 85%, you have a third-party seller problem. And you need to address it, unfortunately, at the, the wholesale. So when you... You would need to seek legal counsel, whoever actually designs these contracts, but you yeah. need stipulations in there that, you know, clear, they need to be clear on who they sell to. You need to be able to get that information so you could follow up with these sellers um, and there needs to be transparency. So if you're a brand who's taking the marketplaces seriously and you want to see growth or you want to protect the customer experience, because like I mentioned before, these third party sellers, these mom and pop shops, they're just screwing up your listings all the time. Yeah. They're putting it in information out in there. They're changing images. They're driving, like my hair is growing gray from these people. But I get it. You got to make money. So yep. whatever it is, what it is. But it comes down to the, the manufacturer of the brand. Like they need to have that in place. If you don't have it in place, you need to consider how to get it in place. You could still make your wholesalers happy. You, they could still sell on Amazon. They have to honor map pricing. You know, it erodes the quality of your product. It er erodes the customer perception of your product. Yeah. Yeah. So it needs to be something that's addressed early on. There's no secret bullet. There's nothing that I can do on my end because by the time they get to me, it's already a problem. So for us, we're just like identifying these people. We'll purchase the product to make sure it's not fraudulent. If it is, we'll do the A to Z claim. Do not do A to Z claims if it's a legit product because they would just shut your account down and that is terrible. Yeah. Um, a lot of these will be lifetime banned. So you can really shoot yourself in the foot. So it's important that if you have this issue, you seek out somebody in legal who can kind of help navigate that space. And unfortunately, it's a little over my head. We have, yeah. you know, companies we work with in our network, but it gets really complicated. And what I will say and what I've learned through time is it's root cause. Who are your wholesalers? What kind of relationships do you have? Monroe's relationships and have really explicit, specific language to what they can and can't do yeah. and make sure that there's transparency for wherever your products go after that so that you can track it and you can reach out to your wholesalers and kind of get, and at the project, don't get me wrong. These, yeah. these guys have virtual assistants that just do this all day. Granted, they're bigger companies. So like they kind of budget for it. If you're a yeah. smaller company, I could see it being difficult. Maybe take the virtual bundle or you know, look at the, one of those aggregators, just let them deal with it, or just hands off, let them own the marketplace. Uh, so we have actually a, a model. We work with some uh, companies that are larger and they just want the wholesalers to own it. So yeah. they'll hire us just to do advertising and to take care of the listings. So what we'll do is they file their brand registry. They don't actually send in the inventory. We do the listing optimization. We make yeah. sure the images and the A plus content is crisp. And then we'll use programmatic advertising. Uh, as a way to kind of get 
people to those specific listings. Yeah. And it's like a benefit to their wholesalers. So if you're in too deep or you're just like, I, I just want to make sure the user experience is consistent and my customers aren't getting illegitimate or just a bad experience, that's another workaround too. So I just gave you three ways you can look at it and different ways to go about it. But if you eventually, if you want to own the brand and you want to get to that enterprise level, yeah. you're going to have to address your map policy and how you're going to work with your wholesalers. Okay, very cool. So we are close to our time now. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners? If you're not on Amazon or not concerned about Amazon, you should check out your products just to see what people say about your products to get yeah. some feedback. I also love checking out competitors. Um, if you're interested, there's a S2992 legislation that's in process, um, and that's going to impact the Amazon game to the next level. So we're going to see how it shakes out. Um, but essentially, the Amazon Basics package, if this thing goes through, potentially, it could mean that uh, Amazon Basics will no longer be able to show up top of search. They won't be able to advertise uh, on products. They'll have to show up on the bottom. Not that they can't have products. Um, but it gives us the ability, it gives sellers the ability not to complete directly with Amazon. And this came uh, due to the antitrust violations that Apple, Google, and Amazon's going through. Yeah. And the other thing is they're saying Amazon Prime is funded by sellers and Amazon's benefiting from that. So there's going to be some changes to the Amazon Prime. So what it means is that if you're seller fulfilled Prime or if you're working with a third party logistics company that can do the two day shipping, there's opportunity that it's about to be a level playing field, which is really exciting because we don't work with Amazon. We work with brands. So for us, if it evens the playing field, it gives us an opportunity to really push some products and, and do some damage. Okay, amazing. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be, obviously, Amazon is always going to be that the jungle and they are changing on a daily basis. So make sure you are talking Seriously. to somebody who really knows uh, this thing. Otherwise, you can really penalize yourself and it could be a big deal for your business uh, if you are getting large chunk of revenue from Amazon. On that note, well, I wanted to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful episode. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sam. Appreciate being here. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guest and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Well, head over to bellawix.com. It's B-E-L-L-A-V-I-X.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Brian Beck from NCVA, who discusses key trends in B2B e-commerce, including the rise of Amazon's prominence in B2B product research and buying. Also, the interview with Michael Bagg from AMZ Advisors, who brings a unique perspective for manufacturers and e-commerce merchants from his experience of growing their e-commerce businesses from the ground up. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments, about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks.
We'll see you next time.